Well, we're in a series here uh, called Unlikely People, where we're looking at the, the lives of some of our brothers from the Old Testament. We kicked it off by looking at the life of Samson, and we learned a lot from his life, especially uh, us guys. That was a special message just for the men, really. Then we looked at the life of Noah, and we looked at the life of Jonah. We looked at how in the world did this guy end up inside the belly of a fish, and what did he do to get himself out of the fish? We, we, we looked at his prayer to get out. Then we looked at the life of King David. Last week, we looked at the life of Jehoshaphat. He was one of Israel's kings, and we learned a, a lot. In fact, last week was really a, a special weekend here. Just hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of people in all of our gatherings stood up over in the venue and this man just had a great time of prayer and singing in the middle of the message and singing at the end of the message. It was great. Today we're going to look at a, a, a man who was without a doubt one of God's greatest mouthpieces. He was a great spokesman for God and, and, and that's Elijah. Elijah was one of the, the great men of the Bible. God actually spoke to him. God did all kinds of miracles through the life of Elijah. God gave him incredible influence. In fact, some of you remember E.F. Hutton. Well, when E.F. Hutton was around, you know, he had a commercial on that said, when E.F. Hutton speaks, you know, people listen. When Elijah spoke, you dropped what you were doing. You stopped whatever it is you were doing, and you listened. He was a man of, of great influence. God used him to bring a spiritual awakening to the nation of Israel. God used Elijah in some really, really incredible ways. But in 2 Kings chapter 19, which is where I want you to turn, if you don't have a Bible, it'll be in your notes and it'll be on the jumbotrons, even over in the venue. Um, we're told about a woman who doesn't like him very much. In fact, this woman wants to kill him, and her name was Jezebel. Now, Jezebel was the, the queen of Israel at the time, which means that she had a lot of influence. So in 1 Kings 19, you've got Elijah, a man of great influence, and you've got Jezebel, a woman of great influence. And one day after God did a, a great miracle through Elijah up on Mount Carmel, Jezebel thought, I've had enough of this guy. This guy's getting more and more influence. More and more people are listening to him. I've had enough of this guy. I've got to do something that will mess him up. I've got to do something that will trip up his life. And she does. Look at verse 1 of 1 Kings chapter 19. It says, when Ahab got home, Ahab is the king, he told Jezebel, that's the, the queen, everything Elijah had done, including the way he had killed all the prophets of Baal. That was the great miracle that Elijah did in chapter 18. So Jezebel sent this message to Elijah. May the gods strike me and even kill me by this time tomorrow if I have not killed you in the same way that you've killed them. Well, Elijah was afraid and he fled for his life. He went to Beersheba, a town in Judea, and he left his servants there. Then he went on <clears throat> along alone into the wilderness, traveling all day. He sat down under a solitary broom tree and prayed that he might die. I've had enough, Lord, he said. Take my life, for I'm no better than my ancestors who have already died. And I'll stop right there. Beloved, Elijah's really messed up here, isn't he? He's afraid. He's running for his life. He's physically tired. He's traveled all day. He's emotionally exhausted. He's angry. He's worried and depressed. He's not thinking clearly. He's forgotten about God. He's forgotten about God's power in his life. He's forgotten about that incredible miracle that God just did about 24 hours ago where he wiped out 400 of these false prophets of Baal. He wants to die. Now, I know what some of you are thinking. <laughs> You're thinking, Pastor Rick, I thought you said this was a great man. I thought you said this guy was a spiritual giant. I, I thought you said that this was a, a really special man. He 
He sounds pretty messed up to me. Beloved, he was a great man. He was a man that God used in incredible ways. He, he, he was really special, but he was also a human being. James chapter 5 says this about Elijah. Elijah was a human being just like us. One version says Elijah was as human as we are. In other words, Elijah put his pants on one leg at a time. He was human. He struggled with the same things that, that you do. He struggled with fear and loneliness and worry, depression. He struggled with anger and faithfulness. Yes, he was a great man, and God did great things through him, but he was but a man. He was a human being, just like all of us. You and I have a lot in common with this incredible man. So the next time you think to yourself, you know what, God can never use me. I'm so messed up. I've done so many dumb, crummy things in my life. God could never use me. I want you to know you're wrong. Because Elijah was one messed up guy. He was an unlikely person. And yet God still uses him. Now what I want to do is, I, I want to take some time and I want to unpack a little bit about how he got himself into this mess. I want to talk about how he got himself into this spiritual stupor. How, how did Elijah get so tired and, and so exhausted and angry and depressed that he, that he literally wanted to die? How did he get to this point? Well, he made four ma fatal mistakes that really messed up his life. He probably did a lot of things, but, but, but I'm going to point out the, these four things. And I want you to know, that these are four things that'll mess up your life. These are four things that'll trip your life up. These are four things that'll send you into a spiritual stupor. I know, I, I've, I've done all four of them. Sometimes at once, like Elijah. And I think that somehow today this is really going to be a blessing to you, whether you're here, over in the venue, whether you're listening live right now, online, whether you're listening on the radio or whatever. I think if you really pay attention here, I think God's going to say something to some of you. And you'll leave here potentially a real, real different, different person. So number one, the first thing that Elijah did that messed him up was he focused... Um, his, his, his life on his feelings right here instead of the, the, the truth. Elijah's focused on, on his feelings, how he feels instead of the truth. Verse four says this, I've had enough, Lord. Take my life. Uh, I'm no better than the ancestors who came before me, you know, kind of a thing. Beloved, because Elijah's focused on his feelings instead of the truth, it's messing him up. It, he, he feels like he's no better than his ancestors. He feels like he's a total failure. He feels worthless, but that wasn't the truth. I say this all the time because it's important. Your feelings have no IQ. You, you can't educate your feelings. All of you that stood up a little bit ago, whether you're a homeschool teacher or you know, public school teacher or private school teacher or whatever, all of those students that sit in your classroom, you can't educate their feelings. Feelings, for the most part, are pretty much irrational. So what you have to do is you, you have to be careful when it comes to your feelings. Elijah wasn't careful. He was allowing his feelings to dictate how he, how he was going to navigate life. The Bible doesn't teach us that we need to get in touch with our feelings. The Bible tells us that we need to get in touch with the truth. That's what matters. And there's a difference between how you feel and the truth. Jesus said this in John chapter 8. He said, if you continue in my word, you are truly my disciples, and you will know the truth, and the truth will make you free. 
Some of your Bibles say, and the truth will set you free. It's the truth that you need to focus on. Hey, I'm thankful I have feelings. God gave us feelings. But when you allow your feelings to dictate how you're going to navigate life, let me tell you, it, it, it just will mess you up. Beloved, it's the truth that sets you free from the bondage of sin. The truth. The Bible says that we're all sinful, all of us. We've all fallen short of the glory of God. We're all evil to some degree, you see. Some of us are just more evil than others. And it's the truth about who you are in your sin that will set you free from the bondage because it's the truth that tells you about Jesus Christ and how he came and lived an incredible life for you, died a horrific death for you, walked out of a tomb three days later for you, and now is at the right hand of the Father interceding for you right now. It's the truth that sets you free from all your hang-ups. It's the truth that helps you see yourself and life more clearly. It's the truth that helps you see who God really is. There's all kinds of crazy teachings out there today about who God is. But it's the truth that helps you see who God really is. It's the truth that helps you see your circumstances more clearly. Elijah was allowing all of his feelings to get into the, in his way of seeing what the truth was. Beloved, knowing the truth matters, the problem that Elijah had was that he, was, he wasn't looking at the truth. Instead, he was focused on his feelings. He was allowing his feelings to guide his life. And that'll always just mess you up. Now, now, now let me lay it out for you like this, okay? I'm going to give you a real practical sense on how this works itself out. In a lot of ways, your brain is like a tape recorder. It literally has recorded every single thing that your five senses has ever experienced. Everything that you've ever smelled and seen, everything you've tasted and touched, everything you've heard, everything people have ever said to you, it's all there, the good, the bad, the ugly, the, the right and the wrong, and the true and the false. It's all there. Now here's the problem. When you were a kid, your brain didn't do a very good job of distinguishing between things that were true and things that were false, which means there are some things that were said to you that were just flat-out lies. They may have been said to you by your parents or your grandparents. They may have been said to you by a friend or a teacher or a professor or whatever, a coach. But because of your age and your maturity level, you believed them. I was told by, by people in authority that I was just a coincidence of nature. I was a happenstance of nature. Two molecules got together a billion years ago, and here I am. I, I've just evolved, you know, I'm just educated goo, if you will. I, I'm, I, I've just evolved from a, an animal. That's what I was taught, and because I was immature, I, I believed it. And so guess what I did? I, I acted like I was an animal to a certain degree. I can think back on my life and how I conducted my life because I was taught that I'm nothing but these, you know, a, a, a chance meeting. I, I lived a pretty crummy way. I, I, you know, I obviously didn't live like a monkey, but I lived like an animal in a lot of ways. I just didn't know any better, you see. That's all I knew. I didn't know the truth. I didn't know that when I was in my mother's womb, God put me together. I didn't know that, that God had an incredible plan for my life. You see, I didn't know those things. So I just, you know, all right, you know, I guess I'm just this happenstance of nature. I, you know, I've just evolved a little bit beyond what a monkey does or whatever. So I lived like it. Because you believe these things, these lies, you acted on them. In fact, some of you, I guarantee it, are still operating on a bunch of faulty data, lies that, that you heard when you were a kid. 
Whether you're here or you're over in the venue, I guarantee you some of you right now are living out your life, you're living out your marriage, you're living out your existence based upon lies, faulty data that was put into your brains. Some of you, when you were a kid, had some adult or authority figure, you know, say something like this, you know, hey, you're stupid, or you're ugly, or you're never going to amount to anything, or you're uncoordinated, or you're dumb, or you're worthless, or why can't you be as smart or as athletic as your brother or your sister? And these things were all recorded in your brain, and though you're now in your 20s or 30s or 40s or 50s or whatever, you're still acting on these old memories, which were simply lies, see? You still believe those horrible things that were said to you when you were a kid. And it's messing up your life today. It's messing up what God wants to do with you today. See? We have to be so careful about our feelings. Because you may feel like a loser. You may feel like you're dumb. You may feel like you're worthless. But the reality is, is that you were made in the very image of God. And that's what gives your life, you know, sanctity, dignity. It's what makes us different than everything else. You're so valuable to God. You're so loved by God that he sent his son, Jesus Christ, to die for you. That's truth. That's how valuable you are. That's how loved you are, you see. Regardless of what anybody may have said to you. One of the ways that God heals a person is when they think differently about themselves. When, 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 when they think biblically about themselves. So for some of you, you've got to replace those old tapes. You gotta replace those old tapes with the truth. Proverbs chapter four says this, be careful what you think. Why? Because your thoughts run your life. Is it any wonder that there are forces at work that spend billions and billions and billions of dollars teaching you lies? You see, those forces at work understand Proverbs chapter 4. If they can get you to think a certain way, you'll act a certain way. You'll conduct your life in a certain way. Proverbs 23 says, For as he, a person, thinks in his heart, so he is. Beloved, it's unbelievable what happens within your soul when you have faulty thinking about yourself or faulty thinking about life or faulty thinking about God or faulty thinking about your circumstances, which was kind of Elijah's problem. He's, he's got faulty thinking going on and he feels a certain way and now he's beginning to act out on those feelings instead of focusing in on the truth, what's real. See, what you think impacts how you feel. Romans chapter 12 says, don't copy the behavior and customs of this world, but let God transform you into a new person. And how does he do that? By changing the way you think. Beloved, if you want to change your life, if you want to get well, if you want to begin to live the way God intended you to live, you got to change the way you think. You gotta, you gotta know the, 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 the truth. It'll set you free. Now, there's a lot of hard things in here. Sometimes the truth isn't easy. Sometimes it won't make you feel good. I guarantee you there's stuff in here the world doesn't like. But it's the truth nonetheless. Beloved Elijah hears one, you know, little thing about a woman who doesn't like him and he runs away like a little baby, which then leads him to feel like a total failure. I've had enough, Lord, you know, I'm such a coward, I'm, I'm a loser. And it's all based on faulty thinking. It's all based upon how he feels instead of the truth, and it messed him up and it'll do the same thing in, in, in your life. And number two, the second thing Elijah did that messed him up was he compared himself to other people Verse four again, you know, I've had enough, Lord. Take my life, for I'm no better than my ancestors who have already died. You see what he's doing? He's looking at all those that came before him. He's looking at their life, and he's comparing himself to them. Oh, yeah, oh man, 
And I'm no better than they are. Beloved, when you start comparing yourself to other people, man, you're just asking for trouble. Because there's only one person that you can be, and that's you. That's it. Everybody's unique. And some of you don't feel that way, I know, but the truth is you're unique. The Bible says that when you were in your mom's womb, he put you together just the way you are. You're unique. You're special, and God has an incredible plan for your life. The Bible te teaches that. Doesn't matter how you feel. All God wants you to be is you. When I get to heaven, God isn't going to say, hey, Rick, why weren't you more like Billy Graham? He's not going to say to me, Rick, why, why weren't you more like, more like Moses? Hey, Rick, how come you weren't more like Dr. Jeremiah? How come you weren't more like, you know, John MacArthur? He's going to say to me, Rick, why weren't you more like Rick Countryman? I didn't want you to be John MacArthur. I didn't want you to be Dr. Jeremiah. I didn't want you to be Moses, and I didn't want you to be Billy Graham. I just wanted you to be you. That's all I wanted you to be. And I can't tell you how many times in my life, you know, I, oh, man, I want to be like that guy, you know. I, I want to be like that guy. And, oh, man, help me preach like that guy. And, oh, man, can I be like that guy? Oh, God, if I just had half that guy's power, you know, wow, whoo. When you start to compare yourself to someone else, wow, it just, it just never ends. It just never ends good. It just never ends good. If God wanted you to be Billy Graham or whoever, he'd have made you Billy Graham, but he didn't. He had a plan for Billy Graham's life, praise the Lord, and he's got one for your life, Christian. He's got one for your life. Don't worry about what everybody else is doing. Don't, don't compare yourself to anybody else. Elijah's thinking, oh, man, I'm looking at my, oh, I'm just no better than they are. Let me give you an illustration how it kind of works. You know, one day you wake up and, you know, you're feeling pretty good about your life. You know, you're grateful for all that God has done in your life and given you. You're thankful for the house you have, the car you drive, the things, you know, you've kind of, you know, stocked your house with. You're feeling pretty good, right? Woo, man, thank you, Lord. Then one day, a friend invites you over to their house for dinner. And when you get to their house and you see all their stuff that they've stocked it with and the pool that they have and the cars that they drive, there's a temptation to compare, isn't, isn't there? And if you go down that road, the road of comparing, it leads to one of two things, usually. Number one, you find out your stuff is better than the person you're comparing yourself with, and that just leads to pride. So you show up at their house and you walk in and, you know, you're kind of looking around and you're going, hey, I'm doing pretty good. I got some pretty nice stuff compared to these guys. <laughs> and that's just, that's just prideful. Or number two, you find out your stuff isn't as nice as the person you're comparing yourself to. And that just leads to bitterness, jealousy, envy, covetedness. So you wake up, whoa, I'm feeling good, man. Thank you for my home, Lord. This is great, man. I'm thankful for the car I got. I'm thankful for the jewelry I got. This is fantastic, God. I got a great life. And then you show up at your friend's house and you go, whoa, 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 whoa. Look at that car. How did they afford that car? That's a nice car. Look, look at their big screen TV. It's bigger than mine. I deserve a bigger TV than that guy's got. And then you start looking, you know, at the little bling that... She's got on, and hey, hey, I deserve a ring at least that big, honey. And all of a sudden, what that does is you're now comparing yourself, and now it's leading you to be envious. And now you're bitter because you don't have what that guy has, and you don't have a car like that guy has, and your pool isn't as nice, or you don't have a pool. You got one of those plastic things that's got a crack in it, and it leaks out. You, this, is, this is no good, man. I gotta get a pool, a real pool, for crying out loud. This is no good. Chuck Swindoll said this. He said, if you want to be a miserable mortal, compare your life with someone else's. And Chuck Swindoll, for those of you who don't know, is just a great preacher. And I thought about that, and I, I thought, man, that's certainly true of Elijah's life. He is miserable. 
He's letting his feelings dictate his life, and, and now he's comparing himself to somebody else, and he's just miserable. Elijah, man, we learn a lot from this guy. There's a whole lot of things in this man who was a human just like us that we can learn from in there. The third thing that Elijah did that messed him up was he blamed himself for the stuff that was out of his control. In verse 10 it says, Elijah said, I have zealously served the Lord God Almighty, but the people of Israel have broken their covenant with you. They've torn down their altars and they've killed every one of your prophets. In other words, he's saying, God, I, I've done all this stuff. I've preached your word, and I've done everything you've asked. But look at the people. They're still living in sinful ways. They're, they're doing crummy things. He's blaming himself for the negative sinful things that the people were doing. He said, man, I've, I've worked hard, God, at serving you. I've worked hard at telling people that they need to live for your glory, but the people are actually more sinful now than they were before, so I, I must be a failure, right? And when you do this, when you blame yourself for the stuff that's out of your control, I want you to know you're in trouble. It'll send you down a, a, a rat hole. Elijah was taking the people's sinful lifestyles personally, like somehow he could control how they lived. Beloved, listen. I can't live your life. All I can do is try to be a blessing in your life. See, I, I can't live your life. All I can do is try to get you to understand the Bible and then, and then you know, live it out. You're going to make the choice about what you do with your life. You know, as, a, as your pastor, one of the things I do is I go, hey, look, I want to make sure that those that are a part of this family, that we have things that, that might help people's lives, like the, uh, you know, blended family conference. Look, I don't care whether you've got a great blended family or, or your blended family's really hurting. It doesn't matter. Uh, it's there for you to help you, to be a blessing to you. If you choose to take advantage of it, great. If you choose not to, there's nothing I can do about it. If you're a single person, man, we got this great conference coming up. And we, we're just providing for you. I'm, I, here it is. I think it's what God wanted me to do. Hey, take advantage of it. Come and have a great time of fun and fellowship and hanging out and hearing a great message on how to live pure while you're single and all that kind of stuff. We provide a, a men's ministry for all the guys, and we give you no excuses. Well, I can't make it early in the morning. We got one at night. <laughs> but you know, you know, if you don't want to take advantage of it, then I can do. We got a great women's ministry. We understand humanity. We understand the sinful nature. We understand the Adamic nature. That even though you know Jesus Christ is your Savior, He's still got the flesh. We have celebrate recovery that we provide for you. See. We have a, a room, the altar room. It's one over in the venue, a place where you can go and talk with the spiritual leaders, you see, and have them pray for you and give you some wisdom and counsel on some stuff. Sometimes you're so goofed up emotionally and your feelings are running your life, you just need to go talk with somebody who, who's not invested in it and share it with them and let them give you some wisdom and some counsel. The Bible says there's wisdom. And safety in the multitude of counselors. We provide it for you, but here's the deal. You can lead a horse to water, but you can't make him drink, right? But let me tell you what I do. When I hear about a marriage that has fallen apart, when I hear about a family that's blown apart because of narcotic abuse or pornography or an affair, when I hear about the sin of, of people, let me tell you something. I do exactly what Elijah did, is doing here. Oh, man. Maybe I didn't preach good enough. Oh, man. Maybe I didn't, maybe I didn't pray enough. Maybe I just didn't you know, do enough. Maybe I needed to do another conference. Maybe I needed to do something else. You see, I start taking it on, and guess what it does? It does the same thing to me that it, does, it did to Elijah. I just start going down a rat hole. It just messes me up. 
And quickly the Holy Spirit grabs me and says, Rick, you can't live their life. They're responsible for their own life. All you can do is be an encouragement to them and try to help them see what would be best for their lives. Some of you, you know what, you, 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 you're great attenders of our church. Last night I was talking with a man and this, this point here really hit him. You, you attend the venue, you faithfully attend this place, but you don't belong to it. And there's a difference. There's a difference between just attending and belonging where you, where you use your gifts and your talents and you're a part of what happens here. There, there's, there's something else that takes place and not just that you become a member because there's a lot of members who just attend, but it's finding a place where you use your gifts, talents, where you get involved in a small group of people on a weekly basis and you're doing life with them. That is so critical, but here's the deal. All I can do is encourage you to do it. If you choose not to, you know. But I, I understand Elijah here. I get it. Look, you gotta be careful when you look at somebody else's life, like, like your spouse. Look, I hope you're an encouragement to your spouse. But here's the bottom line. They're gonna live however they choose to live. Your parents, uh, last night I was talking with a young high school kid who has just been burdened by his parents and their lack of their, of their parents' spiritual life really flourishing. And, and pulling an Elijah here, thinking somehow it was him. And to be able to pray with him and say, no, it's not you. Your parents are choosing not to really follow the Lord because they're making that choice, not because of you. Don't take that on. On, on, on yourself. Could be your friends. You probably all have a friend that you see just making a mess of their life and you've tried, you've encouraged them, you've done stuff, you've prayed for them, you've tried to be a blessing and they're just still choosing to make crummy decisions, right? And you can kind of take that personal. And then what that does is that drags you down. You can't take it personal. All you can be is a blessing to people's lives. And, 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 and Elijah was a blessing. All he did was, hey, God, I, I preached your word, and all God was saying, that's all I want you to do, Elijah. The fact that they're choosing to, to you know, worship idols and all that, that's not your responsibility, Elijah. You just simply do what I ask you to do. But when you do that, wow, it'll really mess you up. The, the, the fourth thing that Elijah did that messed him up was this was he exaggerated his problems. <laughs> In verse 10, Elijah replied, you know, I've zealously served the Lord God Almighty, but the people of Israel have broken their covenant with you. They've torn down your altars and killed every one of your prophets, and I'm the only one left. <laughs> I'm it. <laughs> Jeez. There were more than just him. In fact, later on, God's going to tell them, there's 7,000 of you that have not bowed the knee to Baal. Elijah's having a pity party. Everybody's against me. You know, everybody's out to get me. Everybody wants to kill me. And that wasn't true. Everybody wasn't against him. There was only one person who was after him, huh? Jezebel. But he's exaggerating the problem. And I'm sure nobody ever does that in here. <laughs> nobody likes me. Everybody at church hates me. Everybody in my small group, I know they're talking trash about me. Listen, you're not that important. People aren't talking about you. People aren't, you know, going home and thinking about you. We all have better things to do than to dwell on your life and stuff, you know. Everybody, you know, you know, is against me. I'm the only person that cares about me. <laughs> Don't we do that? And let me tell you something. When you do that, when you get to that point, let me, it, it just drags you down. The reality is you have a lot of people who love you, a lot of people who care about you. You may have one or two or ten who don't like you. I got a whole cadre of them. 
have a whole email list of people who I, oh, yeah, I know. Uh, I see the name and I know they don't like me. I'm very thankful for the delete button. <laughs> I'm, sorry, I'm not kidding. I'm not kidding. I don't want to read it. I know. I'm a loser. I know. <laughs> you told me twice. I, I get it. I, I, you know, really. But then I got a lot of, you know, people who I know do love me, do care about me, and pray about me. But if I sat in my office and I, I do this, <laughs> everybody hates me. Nobody at the church likes me. Everybody's against me. That, that's just crummy. But that's what we see Elijah doing here, you see? And there's a lot we can learn from this, from this man. Here's the deal. If Elijah just thought about it, instead of listening to his feelings, he would have realized that there was no way that Jezebel would have killed him. No way. Look back at verse 2 real quick. It says, Jezebel sent this message to Elijah. May the God strike me and even kill me if by this time tomorrow I have not killed you. Now listen to me. <laughs> if Jezebel had really intended to kill him, she wouldn't have sent a messenger to warn him. She would have sent a hitman to knock him off. Right? Jezebel was much too clever to have Elijah knocked off. She knew Elijah was an influential man. She knew if she knocks off Elijah, man, that could start a, a revolution in the country. And on top of that, let me tell you what else she knew. She knew that Elijah was God's man. She knew what God did in chapter 18 with those 400 prophets of Baal. There was no way Jezebel was going to kill Elijah. So what was she trying to do? I think she was just simply trying to threaten him. I think she threatened him so that he'd freak out and do exactly what he did, run like a little baby. She wanted him to look like a coward in front of the nation. That's what she wanted. I want this guy to look like a loser in front of all of his people. I want him to lose some of his influence. But Elijah didn't stop and, and think about that. He didn't think, hey, there's no way she could kill me. I have too much influence. The people would probably knock her off. And most importantly, God is with me. He, he didn't do that. He didn't think about truth. He was simply allowing his feelings to kind of dictate his life. Elijah goes on and he says, you know, I'm the only one that cares about God. You know, everybody else is worshiping an idol. In verse 18, it's where it says that I have 7,000 people left in Israel, God said, who have never bowed down before Baal and whose mouths have never kissed, you know, his idol. Every one of us does these things at times. We focus on our feelings instead of the truth. We blame, uh, you know, ourselves for the things that are out of our control. We compare ourselves to others and we exaggerate our problems. These were the things that got Elijah into trouble and they're the things that'll get you into trouble. Now I just want to take these last couple of minutes and quickly give you three things that Elijah did that were pretty smart. They were the things that kept him from maybe going farther down the rat hole. These were things that I think brought him out of the stupor that he was in. This is the practical piece of, of, of the message. Number, n n number one, the first thing that he did was he ate some food and he got some sleep. That doesn't sound very spiritual. <laughs> For some of you, it might be the most important thing you hear today. Verse five says, then Elijah laid down and slept under the broom tree, but as he was sleeping, an angel touched him and told him, Elijah, you need to get up and you need to eat. He looked around, and there beside his head was some bread cake on hot stones and a jar of water. So he ate and drank and laid down again. Then the angel of the Lord came again and touched him and said, hey, Elijah, you need to get up and you need to eat some more, or the journey ahead of you will be too much. And the same thing is true for us. God has a journey for all of us to be on. And somehow rest and food matter. They're important. 
When you're physically tired, when you're fatigued, when you're mentally drained, physically exhausted, you're prone to depression and all kinds of crummy things. And one of the best things you can do is simply take a nap. It's amazing what a little R&R will do. It's amazing what a good night's sleep and some good food will do for your soul, for your attitude. Some of you, listen, the best thing you might do is say, you know what, i got to find a, a time to take a nap. Now, look. I'm in my 50s now. When, when I was younger, I used to mock guys that took naps. I don't know. Are you going to go take a nap? <laughs> Loser. Loser. You start taking naps and you're well on your way to wearing Depends next. I mean, you're just, uh, uh, th- that's the way it goes. I mean, it's one step to the next, right? I mean, <laughs> Look, let me tell you something. I, I, I'm now that loser. I I take naps. I I love a nap. There's nothing like a good nap. And it's amazing how a good nap, you wake up and it's like, whoa. Maybe that's what some of you need to do. Maybe one of the things you could do for each other, for those of you that are married, is maybe maybe this week, guys, you you come home and gather up the kids and go to the park and say, honey, I'm going to give you an hour or two just to rest. Some of the tension in your home was probably there because you're just tired. And a lot of ladies right now are going, oh, preach it, Pastor. (laughs) Preach it. That's a message all in itself, right? And ladies, you know what? Maybe you just need to say, hey, honey, listen, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to take the kids to the park. I'm going to have a picnic. And and you take advantage of that time. Turn everything off and, I don't know, get in the bath, just crawl into bed and just get get an hour of sleep. Rest. For some of you, you know what you might need to do? You need to look at your diet, maybe. Well, what you put into this body of yours is important. When I, was, when I was younger, man, you know, give me a Twinkie. I could put a straw on it. It was a drink and a meal. It was no, no big deal. Now, if I ate a Twinkie, I'm out for a week. I just, my whole system would be all messed up and can think right. <sighs> Getting old just stinks, doesn't it? <laughs> I mean, it's just <laughs> unbelievable. And for those of you that are up in age, I'll let you determine what that means. You know, think about what you eat. Think about it. It matters, you see. One of the things I love about this is here's Elijah running scared for his life, and what does God do? Does God, you know, find him and chew him out? You coward! Oh, hold up in a cave, running for your life? No. Does God criticize him and put him down? No. Does God condemn him? No. What does God do? Gives him lunch. Hey, Elijah, here's some food. Did you get some rest? Isn't that a beautiful picture of God? Some of you don't have that picture of God, do you? Your picture of God is he's ready to lambast you as soon as you blow it. As soon as you do something that's wrong or, or, or you know, that, that doesn't show much courage, man, he's just waiting and he's going to let you have it, right? Here's this man who's scared. He's all goofed up. And God says, Elijah, here's some lunch. So you get some rest. Isn't that beautiful? That's the picture of God that I want you to have. The second thing he did was he was just honest with God about how he felt. It says there, he came to the cave where he spent the night, but the Lord said to him, you know, what are you, what are you doing here, Elijah? What's going on? And he replied, I, 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 I've served you zealously, God. But the people of Israel, man, they're all screwed up. They've broken your covenants. They've torn down your altars. They've killed your prophets. And I'm the only one left, and they're trying to kill me too. I want to die. I love this. Elijah was just totally honest with God about how he felt. This is one of the good things that Elijah did. He talked honestly with God about how he felt. He didn't keep his emotions all suppressed, and God didn't get all bowed out of shape over it. God's big enough to handle you having a conversation with him. 
He's big enough and strong enough to handle you with respect coming and just being honest with him. God doesn't shut him down and say, how dare you talk to me that way, pal? He didn't do that. I thought about when the disciples were on the boat in the Sea of Galilee, or some of the disciples were on the boat, and these were fishermen, and the seas picked up, and they were really scared. They thought they were going to lose their lives, and they go find Jesus, who's asleep on the boat, and they woke him up, and they said, don't you care? Don't you care? We're going to die. And Jesus didn't get up and say, how dare you ask me that? Do I care? I left the glories of heaven and came down here for you. I'm going to die on a cross. Don't ask, how dare you talk to me that way? He didn't do that. He understands we're human. And it's okay to go to God and say, God, don't you care? God, I've been doing this, and I've been doing that, and I don't know why my family's not turning. I don't, what's wrong with my teenager? What's wrong with my son? God, I'm doing that. He can handle that. It's one of the things that I believe brought him out of the stupor that he was in, was he just talked honestly about his life. In fact, I saw six different emotions here. One, I saw fear. Verse three says Elijah was afraid. I saw resentment. In verse four, he said, hey, I've, I've had enough, Lord. I saw low self-esteem. I'm no better than you know, my ancestors. I, I guilt. Man, I've done all this stuff and these people are still living in a sinful way. Loneliness. Man, verse 10, I'm the only one left. Verse six, uh, or, or number six, worry. It says in verse 10 that, man, they're, they're trying to kill me too. And when you take all these things, fear, resentment, guilt, low self-esteem, anger, loneliness, worry, man, it's a recipe for disaster, isn't it? Which is why you gotta go to God and talk with him honestly about what's going on in your life. So you, you get some rest, you eat a good meal, talk with God honestly. And the third thing that Elijah did is this, is that he listened for God's voice and then he did what God told him to do. Look, look, I know you filled in the last blank. Just for, forget that. Just look at me for a second. I don't want you to miss this. In verse 11, it says, God said to him, go out and stand before me on the mountain. And as Elijah stood there, the Lord passed by, and, and a mighty windstorm hit the mountain. It was such a terrible blast that the rocks were torn loose, but the Lord was not in the wind. After the wind, there was an earthquake, but, but the Lord wasn't, wasn't in the earthquake. After that, there was a fire, but, but the Lord wasn't in the fire. And after the fire, there was the sound of a gentle whisper. And when Elijah heard it, a gentle whisper, he wrapped his face in his cloak and went out and stood at the center of the cave. And then verse 15, you know, God gives him some instructions. Well, one of the greatest things you can do when you're messed up, when, when you're just goofed up, is you gotta get in a place where you can hear the whisper of God. It, it, it's good to come in here and, man, we crank out the volume and guitars and drums and, and, and basses and man, it's just unbelievable. We hear the voice of God, I, I know we do. Nothing wrong with hearing the word proclaimed and a guy who's animated and loud and, and, and that's good, I, I know you hear from the Lord. Nothing wrong with having good music, Christian music blaring in your homes and all that, that's good. I know you can hear from the Lord that way. But let me tell you something. You need to create some space in your life where there's no sound, you turn everything off, and you listen for the whisper of God. You see, I think the church in America has missed the whisper of God. Yes, I think we hear him in all of this stuff, but God gave you his Holy Spirit, Christian. And God wants to speak to you with his Holy Spirit. But everything is so loud and bombastic and there's just stuff that we don't hear that whisper. So here's Elijah standing there and you know the wind's blowing. God wasn't in that. The fire comes. It was a whisper. And maybe the greatest thing you can do this week is, is to get a nap. Make sure you put good stuff inside that body of yours. You have a time when you just talk to God about what, 
you know, honestly about what's happening in your life, and then you create some space and say, God, I'm, I'm not going to read. I'm turning off my phone. I'm turning off my, you know, my, my pacemaker, and, you know, whatever, and whatever. Whatever it is, that, you know, whatever. And, and, and here's what I'm going to do. Here I am. Phone's off, TV's off. And maybe, maybe you'll hear that whisper from God. Listen to me. Maybe you won't hear anything. Maybe the Lord, the Lord Jesus will just enjoy being with you. You ever, you ever gotten into your car, husbands, wives, and maybe you drove over to the city with your spouse, and maybe there was 30 minutes in the car where you, you, didn't, you didn't say anything to each other. You, you were just in each other's presence. And that was beautiful, wasn't it? I, I, I think... The Lord longs for you just to be in his presence. He don't want to say anything to you. He just wants to be with you. Maybe he will say something in that still small voice. But I'll tell you right now, when you find yourself in a, in a, in a, in a stupor, let me, let me just tell you. Eat. Get some sleep. Talk honestly with God. And maybe that's where husbands and wives can help each other out. Maybe this week you, you say, honey, go, be alone with the Lord. I want you to hear that voice or just be with Jesus. And you help create that space for that loved one of yours. Maybe grandmas and grandpas, why don't you call up your kids and say, you know what, I heard from the Lord this week and I want to take the kids from, and give you guys a chance. Now, don't start, you know, vacuuming and, you know, painting the house and changing the carburetor, you know, because... You got some time with no kids. Don't do that. You got plenty of time for that. What you need is, is just to be alone quietly with Jesus Christ and let him speak to you. Over in the venue, why don't you stand? Everybody in here stand. And why don't you close your eyes? Just, just quickly close your eyes. Over in the venue, Pastor Scott Stubbert's going to pray. Over here, Pastor Scott Butler's going to pray. But just close your eyes for a moment. Have a great afternoon, church. Enjoy being with your friends or your family members. Enjoy being alone. Because maybe for some of you, God's going to provide a moment for you just to be alone with him today. I don't know. Remember, the altar room is always open. Spiritual leaders are always there to pray. Be with you. Scott, would you, would you pray?